0: This is the Relic Radio Show, old-time radio entertainment still standing
1: the test of time, from RelicRadio.com. back to the Relic Radio Show. This week's hour of radio drama begins with Box 13. We'll hear the Dowager and Dan Holiday from March 12, 1948. After that, it's Have Gun, Will Travel, and Roped. That episode aired June seventh, 1959. Box 13 with the star of Paramount Pictures, Alan Ladd as Dan Holiday.
2: Dear Mr. Box 13, I address you as Mr. because I assume you are of the male sex. If you're a woman, disregard this letter. Come to my home at 7546 Brandon Drive as soon as you receive this. I shall be expecting you at once, and I shall state my reason.
3: so state my reason for writing this when I have satisfied myself as to your qualifications. Very truly yours, Mrs. Matilda Cortland. Mrs. Matilda Cortland? Now, why should one of the richest women in the world and one of the least accessible be writing to Box 13.
1: And now, back to Box 13 and Dan Holiday's newest adventure, The Dowager and Dan Holliday.
4: Golly, Mrs. Matilda Cortland.
3: Impressed, Susie?
4: I sure am. Why, nobody ever sees her.
3: And practically no one knows what she looks like. She hasn't had a photograph taken in... Uh... Huh. Come to think of it, I don't ever remember seeing one.
4: Maybe she's a refugee.
3: Susie, you mean recluse. Oh, do I?
4: <laughs>
3: when Matilda Cortland wants help, it's got to be something big. Okay, Susie, Mrs. Cortland's wish is my command. See you later. <laughs> the Cortland mansion on Brandon Drive was the show place in the city. People craned their next to look at it. But all they ever saw was the dignified prim exterior. Ah, I was privileged. I saw the inside. Because when I rang the front doorbell... Yes, yes sir? Oh, how do you do? I'm the man from Box 13.
5: Oh, will you come in, sir? Follow me, sir.
3: I followed the butler down the hallway. The house was just as I expected. It was the 19th century, refusing to believe that the 20th had ever rolled around.
5: Then... One moment, if you please, sir.
6: Yes?
5: I beg your pardon, madam, but the gentleman you were expecting... Has arrived.
2: Show him in. That will be all, Jesse?
5: Yes, madam.
2: Stand there for a moment. Huh? I said stand there for a moment.
5: The
3: room was darkened, the shades were drawn over the windows, and the heavy old fashioned drapes let in very little light. Then my eyes became more accustomed to the darkness, and I saw her. Mrs. Matilda Cortland, practically a legend. She was about 75. Her white hair was drawn tightly back over her head and was covered by a jet-encrusted scarf. Her dress was a museum piece, and it fell to the floor in heavy folds.
2: Now you've seen Matilda Cortland. That's an accomplishment, young man.
3: Yes, I know it is, Mrs. Cortland.
2: Come closer. That's enough. Now, turn around.
3: Turn, Turn around?
2: Yes. Are you a sample of what this modern age has produced?
3: It's very nice out there, Mrs. Cortland.
2: Matter of opinion. Mm -hmm. How old are you? 32. You may sit down. Oh, thank you. Why didn't you come sooner?
3: I only received your letter this morning.
2: It's after one.
3: I ate lunch. I've developed that bad habit. You
2: could have had lunch with me.
3: Well, the letter didn't invite me.
2: No matter. This is your advertisement in the Star Times?
3: Uh, Yes, it is, Mrs. Cortland.
2: I saw it by chance. I never read newspapers. I form my own opinions, political, social, and moral, without aid from the press.
3: Some of us, Mrs. Cortland, like to hear other sides of the questions that may come up.
2: Stop arguing with me.
3: Mrs. Cortland, I came because you asked me to. I assumed you had something in mind when you wrote to Box 13. I didn't know it would be a discussion, which neither of us... That's
2: enough, young man. Do you have a name?
3: Oh, yes, yes. Dan Holliday. Daniel? Only when I'm being formal.
2: Why did you put this advertisement in the paper?
3: Well, I told her she listened without changing expression. When I finished...
2: Then you don't accept payment for your services. (sighs) No, I don't. Very well. You're going to help me.
3: Oh, just a moment now. I haven't heard what you want me to do.
2: Does that matter? You advertised that you would go anywhere, do anything.
3: Well, maybe what you have in mind won't interest me.
2: Mr. Holliday, I want you to do this for me.
3: All right, then tell me what it is.
2: Come here this evening for dinner.
3: Oh, I'm sorry, but I have an engagement. Cancel it. Well, I, I can't.
2: Nonsense. Anyone can cancel an engagement.
3: Look, Mrs. Cortland, this is the 20th century. I know there were days when the word of Matilda Cortland was law to the society of this city, when engagements were cancelled right and left to leave room and time for your dinner parties. But but I still have an engagement I intend to keep.
2: You're unreasonable.
3: No, correction. Independent is the word. No matter. But it does matter, Mrs. Cortland. Now, you'll excuse me. Oh, wait. Yes?
2: Tomorrow night, then.
3: I think I can make that.
2: Seven o'clock. Please be prompt. Do I dress? Of course.
3: And meanwhile, I'm supposed to guess what you want me to do. I know that dinner isn't all of
2: it. And that's quite right. You will meet my grandson and a woman. And then? And then, no matter what I say, you're not to act surprised, astonished, or give the least sign that anything is strange or new to you. No
3: matter what you say?
2: You think you can manage that? I'll try, Mrs. Cortland. I'll try. Remember, what I say or do may startle you, even shock you, but under no circumstances are you to betray your feelings. Now, Jessup will show you to the door. I shall expect you tomorrow evening at seven.
3: Well, Box 13 has brought out some pretty fancy routines, but this one was different. I found out what it was all about that evening at dinner. I met a grandson who was about twenty five, and a girl who was well, maybe a little younger than he. I was still wondering what it was all about, and so was the grandson, Peter. The girl seemed nervous, ill at ease. Matilda Cortland wasn't making it any easier for her.
2: Miss Wright? Uh, yes, Mrs. Cortland. Did you say your father had been an engineer? Oh,
3: please, grandmother. Peggy's told you he was five times. Peter,
2: I am speaking to Miss Wright.
3: Sorry. What sort of an engineer, Miss Wright?
2: Well, the he food, mining, chemical, what?
1: He was a locomotive engineer.
2: Oh, really? On what railroad? Grandmother, please. Peter, do not interrupt. I, Peter, I, I'd like to go now. But, my dear, we were to spend an evening together. I've heard so much about you from Peter that I feel that I'd like to know more. Yes, Mrs. Quarter. Uh,
0: we really got to go, grandmother. We're we're expected somewhere.
2: Oh, where are you going?
0: What well, does that
3: matter?
2: Yes, where are you going?
3: To the Club Pierre.
2: What's that, Daniel? Do you know?
3: Oh, yes, it's a very nice club. Dancing, dinner... A cabaret. <laughs> they don't call them that anymore, Mrs. Carlin.
2: Very well, I shall go along. What? I shall go along. But, but, but... Stop sounding like a motorboat, Peter. Well, Daniel, would you like to go? If
0: you would. But, Grandmother, you, you can't go.
2: Would I be barred because of my age?
0: Oh, no, of course not,
2: but... Then why can't I go?
0: Well, I... I guess there's no reason, but... You'd have to leave the house.
2: I didn't expect to carry it along like a turtle with his shell.
0: Oh, of course not.
2: There's a very good reason I want to come along. Isn't that right, Daniel?
3: Uh, y- y- yes, y- yes,
2: there is. I've decided that i had been locked away from the world too long. Now I have a reason for getting out into it. Renewing an old acquaintance, so to speak. Moreover, since I'm going to be married, I... What? What, what did you say? Yes, Daniel and I are engaged.
5: <coughs> Mr. Holliday, are you
2: all right?
3: I, uh... <clears throat> I never felt better in my life, I
2: think. You must be more careful, Daniel.
3: <sighs> yes, I I can see that.
2: Well, Peter, you and Miss Wright run along then. Daniel and I will join you later. Uh,
1: yes, Grandmother. Come on, Peggy. Excuse me. I've reserved a table. You can just ask for me at the club. Very well. Look, Mrs. Cortland. Be quiet.
2: Now, what were you going to say?
3: Why did you say that?
2: About you and me, Daniel?
3: Yeah, that's it.
2: You saw that girl.
3: That's right, yes, yes. What about her? What's she got to do with this?
2: That girl's a fortune hunter. She's after Peter's money. My money right now.
3: And where do I fit in?
2: I think when she realizes Peter is not liable to inherit my money, we can forget her.
3: In other words...
2: Exactly. You would inherit my money as my husband.
3: Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You don't have any intention of keeping on with this, do you?
2: I never start what I cannot finish.
3: I'm sorry, but you can count me out. Why? Because it's ridiculous.
2: I love my grandson. I would do something ridiculous to make him happy. Oh, well,
3: go talk to him, then.
2: I've tried. He's infatuated with that girl.
3: All right, forget that. What kind of a reputation do you think this will give me? I'll be the fortune
2: hunter. Not at all. You earn a very good living from your writing.
3: Yeah, I know, but... I
2: have enough influence to keep this out of the papers. I promise you, this will be between you, Peter, that girl, and myself. No. No, I can't. I... Daniel, I'm an old woman. I have nothing in the world but that boy whom I love dearly. When I die, I want to be sure he's happy. I'm lonely, Daniel. Very lonely. The only comfort I have is Peter. Peter. And that comfort would be taken away if I thought for even a moment that his happiness would be ruined by a woman who cares nothing for him, but for what money he'll have when I die.
3: Please, Mrs. Cotton, what you're asking
2: is... I know a great deal. It might cause you embarrassment. But believe me when I tell you that it cost me a great deal in pride just now to confide in you, a stranger. I know what people say about me. Matilda Courtland, Tyrant, Moneybag, Recluse, all those and more. But... Let me finish. Then you can decide. I'm afraid to leave this house. Afraid? Why? Because I'm afraid of the outside world. When my husband died, I went on. Then my daughter died. My son-in-law died. Peter is all that's left. I want him to be happy and I'm willing to sacrifice anything to see that he is.
3: Mrs. Cortland, you're making it tough on me.
2: It'll be just as tough on me, as you put it.
3: How, how long does this go on, if I agree?
2: Until I find out.
3: <laughs> well, I'm a sucker, Mrs. Cortland, but all right.
2: Thank you. Now, Daniel, please take me to the Club Pierre.
3: So we went to the Club Pierre. I don't remember much about what happened, except that I felt like a goldfish in a bowl without water. Well, I played my part and went on for two days more. Then in my apartment... I've come to see you, Holiday, because I want to talk with you. All right, Peter, sit down and talk.
0: You can't be serious. About grandmother, I mean. What makes you say that?
1: Well, you just can't. Why, she's old enough to be your grandmother.
0: She's charming, gracious...
1: And rich.
3: Money isn't everything. It
0: must be
1: to you.
3: Now, wait a minute, Peter. What your grandmother does is none of your concern.
0: It is when she makes a fool of herself, or when someone does it
3: for her. Meaning me? Meaning you. I don't think I have. Besides, I'm having fun. I've learned to drive her electric runabout. It's a little slow, but it's not even serious now. How do you know? Because it's ridiculous. Maybe she thinks your romance is ridiculous. That's none of your business. All right. All right, it's none of my business. And what I do is none of your business. And you insist on going on with this? Why do you say that? Because if you do, I'll find a way to stop it. Oh? How? I don't know, but I will. Is that a threat, Peter? No, that's a promise. All right. As long as we're playing, oh, promise me, I can promise you that I'll take care of myself. we'll, we'll see about that, holiday.
1: And I warn you, you're going to get into trouble. And now back to The Dowager and Dan Holiday, another Box 13 adventure with Alan Ladd as Dan Holiday.
3: Well, it all looks so simple. Just go along with the game until Matilda to Cor- called it off. Yeah, sure, that was all. Then one night at her home.
2: Tonight, Daniel, you're taking me to the opera. Oh?
3: Look, Mrs. Cortland, don't you think this has gone far enough?
2: I'm not finished. Oh, we're
3: getting no place. Peggy Ryder says... I'll just... be
2: the drudge of when we stop, Daniel. Now, hand me that case on the table there.
3: Oh, this one over here?
2: Yes. Here you are. Have you ever heard of the Cortland Emerald, Daniel?
3: Oh, who hasn't?
2: Now you're going to see them. <whistles> Beautiful, aren't they?
3: Well, I won't argue with you.
2: <laughs> they were to go to Peter's bride. As they came to me. Mm. Nice little trinkets. Each one is perfect. And perfectly matched to the next. Twenty of them.
3: Uh, you're going to wear that necklace?
2: Yes. Fasten it for me, Daniel.
3: All right. As I fastened the clasp of the necklace, I got a funny feeling. Maybe it was the jewels themselves, green, glowing in the yellow light of the room. Then, when I finished...
2: Thank you, Daniel. Now, if you're ready... All right, let's go. Oh, wait a moment. I think I hear Peter.
3: Hmm?
5: Grandmother, are you just about ready to...
2: The emeralds? Yes, Peter, the emeralds. I'm wearing them tonight. But... But you can't. Why not, Peter? Well, I mean, it's... It's dangerous, isn't it? Why? Well, all I meant was... Are you sure the clasp was tight? It won't come loose or anything. Of course not. Come along, Daniel. Yes, sure. And Peter... What? You can close
3: your mouth now. I didn't hear much of the opera because I kept thinking how strange Peter had looked when he saw the necklace, how Matilda Cortland had looked, as if warning her grandson to be quiet, say nothing more. Then the opera was over. I drove her home, and I went home to bed. Yeah? Who is it? Holiday? Uh-huh. Open up. Well, who is it?
0: Police. Police? Wait a second. Hey, what's up? You're Dan Holiday.
3: That's what the name on my mailbox says. Why?
0: Move over. Sergeant, stay out here. Now, wait. What's the big idea? Got a warrant to bring in. Me? What for? Sworn out by Mrs. Matilda Cortland. What? Yeah, let me see that warrant. You like the way it's written, Holiday? Well, what's the charge? Robbery. This is insane. What are you talking about? I can't talk any plainer than I did, Holiday. Robbery of what? Ooh, of about 20 emeralds. The
2: necklace almost immediately after I came inside this house. It was just after I'd left Mr. Holliday. No one else was
3: with you. You know as well as I do that I didn't take that necklace. It was missing. Then look all over the house.
2: The insurance company has already done that.
0: Well, Holliday? You said that once. Did I? Well, you didn't answer it. I can't.
2: Will you need me any more, officer?
0: No, I don't.
2: Uh, Excuse me. You can hang up Jessup. I've taken it here in the library. Uh, Yes, of course. It's for you, officer.
0: Thank you. Hello? uh Oh. Okay. Stay there. Got any good answers, Holiday? Answers to what? How the necklace got into your apartment.
3: <gasps> oh, this was a beauty. I was looking out of a frame that crowded me, but good. I knew Mrs. Cortland had that necklace when she'd left me last night. I saw it, yet how could it get in my apartment? And why? So I saw Kling, and he pulled some strings, and I was out on bail. I had to get some answers fast, and I thought Peter could give them to me. I'm sorry, Holiday, I can't do a thing. Listen, you saw that necklace when your grandmother and I left for the opera last night. And I saw it when I brought her home.
5: Then how did it get into your apartment?
3: Maybe you've got an answer. No. Listen, your eyes popped out of your head when you saw your grandmother wearing that necklace last night. Why?
0: I, I knew something would happen. How did you know? What gives you the right to question me?
3: I'm doing it. <laughs> all right, go ahead and ask. I was with your grandmother all evening. And
1: you know? I wasn't. If you want to check, go ahead. But it looks as though you're in a mess, Holiday. Well, there's Nothing I could
3: add to that. Sure, I checked. Peter was in the clear. He hadn't been near his grandmother from the time he saw us until the next morning. Yet someone had to take that necklace and plant it in my apartment. And it looked like a frame-up between Peter and his grandmother. But why? Why frame me? Why go through this whole elaborate fix just to fasten a crime on a guy they'd never seen before? And I got an idea. I went to the insurance company.
5: Of course, Mr. Holiday, now that the necklace is recovered, we have nothing more to do with the case.
3: But if it hadn't been recovered, you'd have paid the claim, right?
5: Certainly. Mm.
3: But it's not the
5: insurance money they were after. Mrs. Cortland? <laughs> Certainly not. She's enormously wealthy. Yeah, yeah But yeah. you know, it is a little strange, come to think of it.
3: What's strange, come to think of what?
5: Probably nothing, but uh, we were due for our routine checkup in just two days. Checkup? Of what? Well, you must know we make a checkup on insured objects every so often.
3: And one was due in two days.
5: Yes. Oh, I see. I beg your pardon?
3: Oh, nothing, nothing. Well, thanks very much. But it still didn't make sense. It still came back to the necklace being found in my apartment. Then, then I figured out another angle. And my next stop was to see Miss Peggy Wright.
4: What do you mean? What are you talking about?
3: I asked a simple question, Miss Wright. And that was, when were you and Peter planning to leave?
4: Leave? Leave where?
3: Now, cut it out. You know what I'm talking about? I say you and Peter plan to elope.
4: We didn't. We never even thought of it.
3: Are... are you telling the truth?
4: Of course I am. Why should I lie about that?
3: I don't know. Look, Miss Wright, are you in love with Peter? Yes. You want to get married?
4: If it weren't for her, we...
3: But if I marry his grandmother, then you wouldn't get the money.
4: Oh, I don't care about that.
3: Hmm. Well, I could swear she was telling the truth. At first, I'd thought Peter had taken a necklace so that he and Peggy could get away from Mrs. Cortland. But it was a dead end again. And there was that other thing bothering me. Why frame me? Then I went back to see Mrs. Cortland.
2: I can give you ten minutes, Mr. Holliday.
3: That's all I want, just a couple of questions.
2: Wait. If I promise not to prosecute, if I drop the whole thing, will you forget it?
3: Now, wait a minute, let me get this straight. You're willing to forget all this? Yes. Why?
2: Because perhaps I like you.
3: Oh, no, that's not it.
2: Then I have nothing more to say.
3: Yes, but I have. Why did you decide to wear that necklace to the opera last night?
2: It's mine, and I wear it when I please.
3: But why last night? And why was it missing this morning? It's a little too much of a coincidence that you wore the emeralds last night and that they were found in my apartment this morning.
2: Please leave, Mr. Holliday.
3: And Peter almost fell over when he saw you with that necklace that night. And... And what? And this morning, when you heard it was found in my apartment, you almost fell over. Come on, Mrs. Cortland. What's going on?
2: Do you want money to forget all about
3: this? Oh, no, I don't want money. I want the truth. Maybe even then I won't forget it.
2: Jessop will show you out.
3: Jessop will find himself on the end of a fist if he tries it before I find out a few things.
2: I'll call the police.
3: Go ahead, go ahead. I'll wait. Well, why don't you call?
2: I have no wish to harm you.
3: Mrs. Cortman, I... What were you going to say? Nothing. Nothing at all. I'm just getting an idea, that's all. Um. An idea. Fantastic, but it made sense. I lined up my facts. First, Peter's reaction when he saw the necklace. Second, the insurance checkup was due just after the necklace disappeared. Third, Peter hadn't had a chance to touch the necklace between the time I saw it last and when it appeared at my apartment. Unless he and his grandmother were trying to frame me. That didn't make sense because there was no reason in the world for them to do it. So I called the cling, another chase around the city, and I found the man I was looking for. Okay. I had everything I needed. And I called that evening at the Cortland Mansion. I made sure Peter and his grandmother were there. And I took Peggy with me. And in the library. This is
2: the last time we'll see you, Mr. Holliday.
3: I don't think so, Mrs. Cortland. Not after the little game we played. What do you mean? When we first started this twister, you said you'd do anything for Peter. What are you getting at, Holiday? And you, Peter, you said you'd get me in trouble. Listen. No, you listen. You planted that necklace in my apartment. Silence after that, huh? But it's true. You uh, wanted to frame me. Mm-hmm. But you, Mrs. Cortland, you suspected he took the necklace, didn't you?
2: You're, you're quite mad.
3: Oh, no. With the insurance up coming, you wanted to avoid a scandal because you thought Peter had taken the necklace. You had a paste one made. Uh-huh. I checked and found out. The paste one was the one you wore to the opera. And, Peter... What? That double take you did when you saw the paste necklace almost floored you. Because you thought you had the necklace.
2: You, you didn't mean to steal it, did you, Peter?
3: No way. Holliday's right, grandmother. So you reported the missing necklace. The paste necklace, Mrs. Cortland. Never thinking the real one would show up.
2: Peter, you, you owe Mr. Holliday an apology...
3: And there is the understatement of the year.
2: Mr. Holliday, I... What can we do? Peggy. Yes?
3: Come here. You too, Peter. All right. Peter, you wanted to protect your grandmother by showing me up as a crook. Mrs. Cortland, you wanted to protect your grandson any way you could. It seems to me a, a lot of energy was wasted that could be used to good advantage. What do you mean... Why don't you stop trying to run other people's lives, Mrs. Cortland? Let Peter and Peggy get married. I'm sure it isn't his money she's after. If you don't, this would make juicy reading in the papers, I'm afraid. You wouldn't? Oh, Oh, yes, I would.
5: Very well.
3: Okay, Peter. You and Peggy run along, huh? Holiday, I. Ah, that's good enough. So long.
2: And I, Mr. Holliday?
3: You and I are going to the Club Pierre.
2: You're very chivalrous, Mr. Daniel.
3: <laughs> so you admit chivalry still lives. Okay, let's go. I'll get the
2: electric runabout and we... No, no, no. Let's go in your car. The runabout, a little slow.
4: So everything's all right now, Mr. Holliday?
3: It sure is, Susie.
2: <laughs> oh! What's so funny? I was just thinking she couldn't have lost the paste necklace.
3: All right, all right, I'll play straight man. Why not?
4: Because, because it would have stuck to her neck. See? Oh, I'll go get the mail for box thirteen. Good night, Mr. Holiday. <laughs>
1: Next week, same time, through the courtesy of Paramount Pictures, Alan Ladd stars as Dan Holliday in Box 13. Box 13 is directed by Richard Sandville with an original story by Russell Hughes. Original music is composed and conducted by Rudy Schrager. The part of Susie is played by Sylvia Picker. Production is supervised by Vern Karstensen. This is a Mayfair production from Hollywood. Watch for Alan Ladd in his latest Paramount picture.
7: You can stay in this cabin and fight it out, or face the men who are waiting to lynch you. Either way, it's a
3: poor choice.
8: Uh, at the carbon hotel you speak to me as hey boy everyone does
4: oh yes, i forget good morning hey
8: boy good morning oh um uh, you did not meet mr paladin before he left
4: no the lady in charge was showing me what the new duties would be each morning he left very early
8: oh yes but uh in two days he returned then i introduce you to my very good friend oh uh. That would be very great for Oh, yes. Oh, no, 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 no. Something is wrong? Oh, when you make Mr. Paladin's bed, you make it uh, West Point style. West Point? I don't know what you mean, West Point. Oh, I assure you. Oh, Mr. Paladin's very particular about bed made... Army way. Is the paradigm in the army? Oh no, no, no. But he was several years ago. Oh geez. he, he said it is the only proper way to make bed. Oh, uh you do not tuck your blanket on the corner like this. Oh no.
6: no.
8: You watch carefully. No. Yeah. First you all on the bottom side like this.
6: Oh,
8: then you hold up the end of the blanket and tuck on the corner like this. Oh yes. Yes. Now drop blanket and tuck on the whole side.
6: Oh it oh, was
4: very smooth way Mr. Chang. Yes, sir.
8: Ah, uh, 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 hey, boy.
4: Ah, yes. Hey, boy. May I please you other side? Okay. Mr. Paladin teaches you to make better right oh, yes.
8: oh, yes. I learned many things from Mr. Paladin. Oh.
4: <laughs> While I work at Carlton Hotel, perhaps you teach me many
6: things? Take-
8: Oh yeah. It would be a great
9: pleasure. This is Frank Knight speaking for Long the world's most honored watch. It's wonderful to win a Nobel Prize in Science, a Pulitzer Award in Literature, an Olympic gold medal in sports. In the field of time. Did you know that Longines watches have won more great public honors for excellence, elegance, and accuracy than any other watch in the world? This is true. For close to a century, the highest authorities have ranked Longines watches as the finest achievement in the science and art of watchmaking. Yet, for a surprisingly modest cost, you may own or proudly give a Longines, the world's most honored watch. The world's most honored gift, styled with distinction, cased in precious metal, promising a lifetime of faultless timekeeping. See your authorized Long Jean jeweler. He will be honored to serve you.
7: The job was finished. The man who had hired me in Salinas had given me an extra hundred dollars to prove that he was pleased and... I was on my way back to San Francisco. It was good to be alone on horseback. As I rode through the verdant coastal valley, I was reminded of Illinois, as I had known it when I was younger. In my imagination, I could see myself riding along on my father's farm, everything very green and sparkling, wonderfully new. Hours became minutes. Then suddenly I realized it was almost sundown, and I was lost. i had apparently taken the wrong turn at a fork a few miles back, my plans had been to stay overnight in Morgan Hill with an old friend, but now I'd have to bed down on the trail after I found water. While I was looking for a stream, I saw some smoke circling over the treetops a couple of hundred yards ahead. A closer look revealed a small cabin nestled in a grove of eucalyptus. Ah! Easy, ah! hey, boy. Don't come hey. no closer. Hey. This is private property. Well, hold your fire. I'm not trespassing.
10: my land. Strangers ain't welcome. How come you're nosing around here? I was looking for a creek. My horse needs water. People don't look for creeks in these parts.
7: Everybody around here as friendly as you?
10: Just be on your way, mister.
7: Look, I've been riding all day. If you look at my horse, you can tell he needs water. You got a well, I'd be willing to pay.
10: How much? You tell me if you're water. You willing to pay two dollars?
7: That's your price?
10: Let me see the money. Here. All right. Get out of the water. Dismount and walk your horse up to that trough by the pump. I'll be right behind you with this rifle. All right. Walk.
7: You're mighty free with that rifle.
10: Been a lot of horse stealing lately.
7: You got a lot of horses?
10: You, out back, they're good ones. They're worth stealing. I don't take any chances. I see. A man don't just happen to wander onto my land. This ain't on the road to no place.
7: I wouldn't be here if I hadn't got lost. I was on my way to Morgan Hill.
10: You're better than ten miles from Morgan Hill...
7: Not much water in the trough. There's
10: more when it's gone.
7: I'm afraid I won't have any luck picking up that trail before morning. It's going to be a dark night.
10: Dirk, what is it, Agnes?
4: Supper's on the table.
10: I'll be in in a minute.
4: What's he doing here?
10: Watering his horse.
4: Dirk, I heard the shooting. What was it? Nothing. Who's that man with you? Is he staying for
7: supper? No.
10: So I'll need more water. Well, you just pump it yourself.
6: Derek, why did
10: you hit him? I don't trust him.
6: You killed him.
10: He ain't dead. He ain't
4: moving. Why'd you do it?
10: I aim to find out who he is.
4: like he's breathing.
10: He's breathing. There ought to be something in this wallet telling who he is. Here. you read the printing on this card? I
4: see. It says, have gun, will travel, wire paladin, San Francisco. His name is paladin.
10: And that card means he's a hired gun.
4: You don't think? I
10: might have known. Come snooping around here near dark, saying he's lost.
4: You think the ranchers hired him?
10: Yeah. Probably old Fred Mosley. I got more of his horses than any others.
4: Don't pay, really, Douglas. What
10: do you mean?
4: Always running, hiding, pretending. Huh? It don't amount to a thing. We could make a better living digging clams on
10: the beach. Horse
4: Steven don't amount to a thing, Dirk. Now,
10: don't start that again. You just get us ready to move out of here by sunup.
4: What are you going to do with him? I don't
10: know. I never killed a man before. This just might be the first time.
9: You need lots of dollars for an accident. You need that kind of protection that only Mutual of Omaha sells. What do you need? You need the health insurance that is ideal for young families because it offers you special savings. The younger you are when you start your Mutual of Omaha Hospital Surgical and Income Protection Plan, the lower the cost. Here's what you need. You need young family health insurance, long-term benefits at low cost by Mutual Benefit Health and Accident Association. Call your local Mutual of Omaha agent in the yellow pages or write Mutual of Omaha, Omaha, Nebraska for information on plans available in your state.
7: The long-term, low-cost protection every young family needs is available now. Write for details on this modern, flexible protection that can be tailored to your exact needs. Write Mutual of Omaha, Omaha, Nebraska. Somebody had exploded a stick of dynamite inside my head. I tried to reach up and stop the throbbing, but my hands wouldn't move. They were tied behind my back. I tried to move my legs, but I only felt the rope that was binding them together. Finally, when I was able to focus my eyes, I found I was lying on a bed in the corner of the cabin. In the middle of the room, there was a table with a dim lamp on it, and a woman, Agnes, was bending over a box, stuffing it with pots and pans. She must have heard me move because she looked up.
4: Oh. Finally woke up, huh?
7: Uh, Why did... Why did he hit me?
4: You can be thankful he didn't kill you.
7: <laughs> Why would he want to kill me?
4: We're on to you, mister. Dirk thought you looked suspicious, and he was right. He found your card. We know you was hired by the ranchers to come after Dirk.
7: I don't know what you're talking about.
4: I suppose you deny your name's Paladin.
7: No. That's my name.
4: Well, don't be tricking me. You can be honest with me, because I saved your life. Dirk wanted to kill you, but I talked him out of it. You can thank me for that.
7: I'm grateful. I do thank you.
4: It ain't your skin I'm worried about. I'm just not going to have my husband start killing.
7: Well, why would the ranchers hire me to get Dirk?
4: There you go again.
7: Now, listen. I don't know who your husband is or what he's done. I was lost. Smoke from your cabin led me here. I wasn't hired by any ranchers. I don't know anybody this side of Morgan Hill. Now, believe me. I'm telling you the truth.
4: If you are. We wouldn't have to move on.
7: I'm telling you the truth.
4: We could stay here. sir. Dirk. Come in here. You believe me? Maybe I do.
7: I wasn't lying.
4: I'd like to believe you. Maybe because I'm tired of running. Maybe because I like this valley, this cabin. Seems like a home.
10: I told you to keep the door closed. What do you want? He woke up. Is that why you called me in here?
4: I was talking to him. I think you ought to hear what he's got to say.
10: We don't have time to prate with bounty hunters. I got the wagon hitched up. Are you done with the packing? He
4: says he wasn't hired by the ranchers.
10: He's been giving you some soft talk. You always was a sucker for soft talk.
7: I wasn't soft talking, your wife. The ranchers didn't hire me.
10: If he's telling the truth, we don't have to run. I'm not taking any chance. Dirk! Doubt the light. Get down on the floor. see anything? No. No, it's pitch dark out there. Come on out, Dirk.
4: We know Judy's been
10: stealing our horses. Come on out. That's Fred Moseley. got I get me, Mosley. There's the answer to your soft talking friend, Agnes. Listen to me. She was beginning to believe you. I was right. You was hired by the Mosley gang. I don't know Mosley. I didn't know you were a horse thief. You ain't even a good liar.
7: Look, if you'll untie me,
10: I'll prove to you I'm
7: not with those men. I'll help you out of here and see to it you get a fair trial.
10: Otherwise, they'll hang you.
4: Dill, maybe what He's
10: tricking us again. Don't listen to him, Magnus. He led those men here. I should have killed you in the first place, and I shoot you now. But I got a better plan. Mosley. Yeah. I got your man tied up in here. What man? The man you hired to come after me. Who didn't hire any man. He says he was hired by you. His name's Paladin. I'm going to shoot him if you don't leave me be. It won't work. You're wasting your breath trying to fool us,
4: Sheriff. If you don't come out, we'll burn you out.
10: You believe me now, Dirk?
4: Maybe he was telling the truth.
10: It doesn't matter now whether I believe you or not. They're going to burn the cabin.
4: Paladin, what would you do if we untied you?
7: Help to see that your husband doesn't get lynched. Now,
10: how can you do that? Well, there's at least three men out there, and they're not going to settle for anything less than a lynching. No matter what you or anybody else says to them. Besides, what do you care if I hang or not?
7: I believe in a fair trial. The man's guilty it should be decided in the courtroom.
10: Trial or no trial, I'm going to hang.
7: At least you wouldn't hang tonight. You'll have a chance to hire a good
10: lawyer. Are you coming out, Dirk? Or do you want to stay there and fly? helen how do you figure on getting me this fair trial you're talking about?
7: Give yourself up. Now, they'll take you nearby. I can follow you and surprise them before they get the rope around your neck. Agnes can go with me with a shotgun. With us undercover in the dark, the odds will be just about even.
10: All right. All right, maybe it'll work. But there's just one thing you didn't mention. What's that? Agnes will stay behind you all the way with that shotgun. And she'll shoot you if you don't do what you just now said. Fair enough. All right, Agnes. Untie time.
7: For 30 years, Almost as long as network broadcasting itself, listeners have relied on Lowell Thomas' colorful coverage of the day's events. Why his continuing popularity? Several reasons. For one, Mr. Thomas insists on accuracy in the reports he broadcasts. Listeners know they can rely on his news broadcasts. Two, Mr. Thomas, because of the thousands of acquaintances his globe-circling expeditions have brought him everywhere, adds personal sidelights and high human interest to the day's news, giving it added color, dimension, and meaning. Add to this a well-honed talent for integrating many items from many places into one meaningful whole, and you have all the keys to Lowell Thomas' 30-year reign as reporter, lecturer, and CBS radio raconteur. Mr. Thomas and our great staff of CBS newsmen, reporters, correspondents, and commentators see that you're kept well-informed, kept alert to the constantly changing pattern of world events. Clear, colorful, complete, CBS news on CBS radio. (laughs) Red Mosley didn't believe there was another man in the cabin. I hid behind the door, but they didn't bother to come inside. They were only interested in Dirk. Agnes stood outside until they were gone. And a few minutes later, we were on horseback following the sound of Mosley and his men. Paladin? Yeah?
4: I'm scared.
7: For yourself, for Dirk. For Dirk. Don't think about it.
4: Ain't no cause for me to hold this shotgun on you, is there?
7: No, no, there isn't.
4: No. I can feel it. You're different from most. You're clean. There ain't no pretending with you. I know that for sure now.
7: Hold up. I get down. We'll walk from here. Follow me and be as quiet as you can. That's There they are. Quiet now.
10: Come, come on hang that goodly. But you don't know for
8: sure I'm the one who told your horses. I I didn't do it. You don't have no proof. You're a fool. Think we
10: didn't see our horses out back of your place without bring on? All right.
5: right let's stop here
10: already got the rope
4: tied
5: on
10: his
5: neck. Yeah. And ready to slap the horse
7: out from under him.
10: Hurry, Paladin. Yeah. Right.
7: Stay behind this rock. Keep the shotgun trained on Mosley, but don't shoot unless you have to. please don't get I'm going to move up closer. Get
10: ready to I. Mosley,
7: who's that? I got four men with me, armed with shotguns. We say you're not going to hang Dirk.
10: Come on out here where I can see you. Not likely. Why do you want to stop a hanging? He's a horse thief. Clear out,
7: Mosley, before we start shooting.
4: How do I know there's four of you?
7: Try us.
10: You don't leave me much choice, mister. We can't fight men we can't see. All right, Tom. You and Bill get on your horses. Mosley,
7: don't try anything.
6: We're leaving. No, wait, Moseley, don't do it. <laughs> oh, no.
7: Agnes, stay back there. <laughs> Dirk.
6: Dirk. Paladin. Can you hear me?
4: him down in time, didn't you? He's all right. He ain't moving, but I know he's all right. Ain't he? He's dead. We didn't stop him, did we? Slap that horse out from under Dirk right before our very eyes.
10: I'm sorry, Agnes.
4: You tried. That's all you could do.
7: You want to cry, Agnes? Go ahead.
4: Uh, It'd help. I don't want to cry. I know it was going to happen one way or another. That's why I was scared. But it's all over now. I'm not scared anymore.
7: How would you like to help solve a mystery? This is a medical mystery, the mystery of MS, multiple sclerosis. Multiple sclerosis is a chronic crippling disease of the central nervous system. It can affect various parts of the body and usually puts its victims in wheelchairs. Those victims, thousands of them, are hit mainly in young adulthood, in the age group between 20 and 40. Nearly all of them, when they're told they have multiple sclerosis, say they've never dreamed it could happen to them. As a matter of fact, it can happen to anybody. That's one of the few things we know about MS. Much of the rest is a mystery. But you can help solve that mystery. Its solution will come through painstaking, costly medical and scientific research. The money for this research must come from the MS Hope Chest. Help fill that hope chest now. Give new hope to thousands of sufferers from MS by giving to your nearest chapter of the Multiple Sclerosis Society or sending your contribution to MS in care of your local postmaster. (laughs) Gun will travel. Created by Herb Meadow and Sam Rolfe, is produced and directed by Norman McDonnell and stars John Daner as Paladin with Ben Wright as Hayboy. Tonight's story was written by Frank Michaels. Featured in the cast were Vic Perrin, Gene Bates, Joseph Kearns, and Virginia Gregg. This is Hugh Douglas speaking. Join us again next week for Have Gun Will Travel. We'll <music>
1: From box thirteen, have gun will travel. The Relic Radio Show and old time radio in general at RelicRadio.com. All the podcasts are there. The Shoutcast stream, all available to listen to for free. Thanks to your support, if you'd like to help out, visit Donate.RelicRadio.com or click on one of the links on the website. Thanks to those who have. Thanks for joining me this week. Be back next Tuesday with another hour of the Relic Radio Show.